Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Uh, For the next two weeks, we're going to be taking a special focus on one of everyone's favorite series when it comes to video game music. This is Final Fantasy. This week, we're taking a focus on the first three games in the series, so all the NES titles. And the next week, we're going to be taking a listen to 4, 5, and 6, all the Super Nintendo or Super Famicom titles. This is going to be a really good double whammy Final Fantasy couple weeks here. I will say, uh, listening back to these first three Final Fantasy soundtracks, it really solidified that I love these soundtracks. Like, these first three on the NES, in my opinion, are my favorite thing that Nobu Uematsu's ever done. Uh, they're definitely my favorite in the whole series. I know that they're a lot simpler, and they don't maybe take the risks that, that he does in, in the rest of the series, but for me, they're just so catchy and so effective and really cutting edge when you think about the late 80s when these were released. I don't know. This is just some of my favorite NES music ever. Sure, yeah. I... I, I... I think um, my favorite stuff is actually going to be next week. I love the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy. Yeah, soundtracks. I love that stuff too. But I don't know. Just this week, just preparing for this and listening to these first three. Oh, there's just so many awesome tracks here. So I can't wait to to dive into this wonderful music. Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, when we st- first started the podcast, uh, I think a little background for those of you who haven't been with us from the beginning. Carl and I did not grow up playing the Final Fantasy games. Uh, we never had a PlayStation, so we never played, you know, Final Fantasy seven VII and eight. Um, <clears throat> but just growing up, we were never really into RPGs. So all of our exposure to Final Fantasy's music was from outside sources or just what little exploration we did on our own. So when we started the show, I think we probably had an unfair view of the music to this series. And it wasn't really until mm-hmm. the show had already gotten going when we really gave it a fair shot and we've had a few um, episodes on uh, this whole series and so we've really grown to appreciate it and love it for the that's um, true hallmark that and it I is, will say really. you know when we started the podcast that the only things at least for me that I was familiar with I was definitely familiar with seven uh, because like, it's impossible not to be familiar with that and there were a couple of things I liked from it but in general I wasn't really loving it that much and the stuff that I heard from the SNES titles um, I think it's not the kind of thing where when you just hear it right away you're maybe gonna love like you kind of have to spend some time listening to it and have it kind of seep into your Brain. I think a lot of video game music is really that way. Exactly. But for me, um, you know, I came into the podcast just not thinking that much of the series. But once I sure. really dove into um, the NES, for me, the NES soundtracks particularly, those are the ones that really resonated with me. So, um, yeah, what you guys heard up top, that was, of course, the prelude. And that's from the very first game, Final Fantasy, that particular version. Now, what's cool is in the subsequent games, like 2 and 3, uh, he does a much better job, actually, at implementing that track. Because if you notice, here i don't know if there was some sort of limitation in the range but he kind of repeated the notes on the bottom so he didn't actually get the full range of the arpeggio like he does uh you know in later versions of the track which is kind of interesting to hear that it's the very very first time anyone ever heard that prelude so the first game uh all three of these games today composed by nobuo uematsu but the first game was released in japan in 1987 and it was the only one of these three that was also released in north america but it wasn't until 1990 when you talk about the series to people that grew up in North America, um, particularly in the 80s and 90s, uh, there's a lot of confusion with the numbering because the first game, like mm-hmm. Carl said, was released in both countries, but then there was two and three that were released in Japan. So the two and three that came in America were released on Super Nintendo, but they were actually renumbered um, uh, of four, five, and six. Uh, mm-hmm. I think four and six came out here as two and three. So, and then when Final Fantasy VII came out for the PlayStation, a lot of American gamers were very confused because they thought they'd missed. Rightly so. Too. They thought they missed four, five, and six when really they missed uh, two, three, and five. And one of the cool things as we go on here is the very first soundtrack, it's, it's incredible. It's really, really effective, very simple. But as he goes on with two and three and the years progress, he really gets a lot more dark and intense and just, you know, Final Fantasy three, there's just some, some pretty epic music. So I'm excited to get to that. Um, we're going to start things off with the main theme from the very first Final Fantasy game. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
get used to that, folks. Uh, today, most of the loops are going to be incredibly short for the, this NES Final Fantasy music, but it's so jam-packed. You know, what he's able to convey in 20 seconds is absolutely amazing. This is the main theme from Final Fantasy, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. I mean, what an amazing piece of music. I, I think something that I particularly love is that bouncy bass line really kind of takes all the gravitas out of the music, which mm-hmm. I personally enjoy because I think sometimes uh, fans of this series are used to hearing this music done with orchestras and being remixed, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and they sort of forget the origins of a lot of these melodies on the NES. That, sure. You know, th- this doesn't sound much different from other NES music in a functional sense you know as far as the nature of that rhythmic bass line it's so cute and inviting uh, but really what I love is the melodies behind all this music are so robust and really kind of hinting at something uh, a little bit more luscious and uh, cinematic I guess yeah but one of the cool things about it, particularly this first Final Fantasy soundtrack is everything is so pure and so kind of unabashed and right. it's not that the other ones aren't that but it's, I don't know there's something about this first soundtrack that there's a cuteness and a simplicity to it right uh, that is what resonates so much with me because it reminds me of other soundtracks you know Koji Kondo stuff things you hear on the system and you know going from this soundtrack to something like Final Fantasy 7 or 10 or you know even more recent uh, it's really crazy to think how far this series has come. Well, I mean, similar to something like Zelda, it's always interesting going back to the first title because this is before it was a series, before there were staples and traditions. Uh, everything about that game was creative and unique mm-hmm. to, in and of itself. It wasn't a reiteration of anything that had come before. So all True. these things that may be staples later on in this series, both musically and just as far as the content of the game, you know... Th- they're just kind of another idea being brought to the table. Yeah, and that's what's so crazy is hearing those staples for the first time. It was just another track. Like, I don't think Uematsu ever thought for one second that dun 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 would be this legendary intro that within the first two seconds, it's one of the most iconic openings. Uh, you know, it's used in so many different battle themes. And then the prelude, the chocobo, all those themes right. that he would create here. Uh, that would just get used throughout the entire series. Pretty cool. Now we're going to play another very sweet and simple song. This is Town from Final Fantasy. gift for melody Uematsu has in this NES era. This is Town from Final Fantasy, a really interesting kind of unique type of vibrato that's used in these NES soundtracks that makes it feel distinctly Final Fantasy to me. Again, this is about a 20 second loop, so it's a very simple short, succinct piece of music, but is it ever well, it's effective? It's cool because that oscillation, that vibration that you're talking about it's not really the way that that um, I guess vibrato effect is achieved in most games because it's more tremolo. Well, here right? it's being done through the oscillation of volume levels, so it's uh, more it's, of a it's tremolo. It's not really, really a pitch fluctuation, but it's so effective. But it, it kind of sounds um, almost vocal in a way because oftentimes when they talk about producing vibrato, even though it usually results in sort of the up and down of a pitch, usually with sure. like singing, sometimes they try not to focus on you know too much pitch wavering and focus on mm-hmm. just sort of the natural um, vibration in the vocal cords. And so I think this might be trying to sound like a vocal or sung melody and just the 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 catchiness, the memorable uh, short and sweet form of it, I think, uh, hints to the fact that this is really supposed to yeah. be something like a song. Yeah, and I will say that uh, I don't think Uematsu is ever as catchy as he is on the NES. You know, things like Rad Racer, things like Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3. Um, you know, he, he definitely grew and improved as time went on, but as far as just pure catchiness, he never really kind of went back to this style, and rightly so. You know, he never really had an opportunity to do that. Well, I think it's, it's kind of like... Um when you listen to the end credits of The Legend of Zelda, which uh, I love, and, and I mean, it's honestly sort of an arrangement of the theme that plays when you die. Yes, uh, game that over. That little fairy 
uh, arpeggio that's just glorious. Um, but having sort of a boom, boop, 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 boop in a Zelda mm-hmm. game now just seems like sacrilege. But there's exactly. something about the NES that hey, just things didn't take themselves as seriously. And it's like at the end of the day, they were still a video game and they just wanted to have fun with it. And mm-hmm. I really miss that in a way that like Me something too. that could be a big, robust series wouldn't take itself you know, too seriously. Absolutely. Well, now we're going to move on to a really cool track. This is Ship from Final Fantasy. listening to ship from the original final fantasy you know one thing i want to make a quick disclaimer again carl and i have never played these games we didn't grow up with them (laughs) so our exposure to the music is completely isolated so our impressions are not based on any experience of playing this game in fact i have no idea what the gameplay is like surrounding this and i know some of you that are fans of this series that's probably a little frustrating but i actually think it's good because we love this music so there's no sort of nostalgia attached to this and we still are incredibly impressed by the nature of the composition yeah it's objectively happy fun catchy music and i can tell you exactly what the gameplay is you're on a ship (laughs) That's really all you need to know, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, One interesting thing that needs to be said about the Final Fantasy 8-bit music is, you guys are noticing this, there's virtually no drums or percussion used in any of these soundtracks. Now, later on um, in 2 and 3 and maybe in 1, there's a couple tracks here and there, particularly some battle tracks, that do use drums. So it's not like he's opposed to it. And by drums, you mean white noise. (laughs) Yes. So it's not like he's opposed to that. But for some reason, I don't know if it's, you know how he was going to dictate the sound effects or whatever there's there's very very little use of drums which is actually fairly surprising and uncommon for the NES. Well, I think it, it's pleasing. You know, you talked about how short the loops are to these tracks. I think uh, drums or the synthesis of percussion on the NES using that white noise channel, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe in the beginning, uh, some sound composers found it to be a little bit jarring or annoying, having that constant maybe. Or to be honest, they might not have even thought of doing it. It maybe was something that they didn't really think they really needed. And, and, you know, rightly so. A lot of this is classical-influenced music. You don't really need drums for the most part. And I think there's something really sweet and pleasing about just having the pitches. It, it allows itself to go on in the background, in particular because the mm-hmm. loop is so short. You know, it's it's very comfortable music. It's not anything that's trying to surprise you at this point. Sure. Now we're going to play a track that is a little bit more reminiscent of a lot of other companies and composers that you hear on the NES. To me, it's not as distinctly Uematsu. It has a little bit of Capcom, Konami influence. It's wonderful. This is Chaos Temple. Wonderful chord progression, very simple, very effective. I like the use of instrument switching. Having that soft attack instrument doing the arpeggios really kind of puts it in the background and makes the melody more of the focus. Um, And then this part is so bouncy and plucky. Again, without any drums, you know, the bass and the chords are are, are having to be percussive and very rhythmic. So it's a very lively track that it doesn't feel like anything's really missing. But you know what I mean? How this section here is a little bit more par for the course for um, 8-bit music, I would say. Yeah, I guess um, harmonically. uh, But I bet if you compared this to a lot of other things, I still think it's more sophisticated and has a little bit more of a classical influence than a lot of par for the course um, game music. 
that quirky Uematsu harmonic kind of wandering sense in this one where chords that I definitely am not expecting as far as like, is it going to be major? Is it going to be minor? Where's the suspension going to be? Uh, he just has his own take on, on on harmony that is unlike anyone else. And all of his kind of weird quirks and his maybe, you know, stemming from what whatever you want to call it, his lack of training or his own um, tastes, it really kind of makes the music of Final fantasy completely its own and it's really owed to to uematsu absolutely you know what i really so, love about uh the nes music also is that much like you know koji kondo and super mario brothers or the legend of zelda he's working with a very simple palette uh, a lot of the same instruments but you know it's uniquely his own uh the the instruments i guess you'd say in this game don't really remind me of anything else particularly here we're mm-hmm. hearing that melody instrument with that volume kind of shake which I, there's this sort of tragic uh sad quality to it it almost mm-hmm. sounds like a, a voice that is, is about to cry or something or a violin with some shaky bowing or something yeah guys there's some tragic music to be had in these first three uh 8-bit soundtracks so it's not all happy and bouncy now we're going to move on to a piece that has a little bit more tension this is a cool track i really like how plucky this opening riff is i think it's pretty effective let's take a listen to gurgu volcano This episode is just going to spoil me, and it's going to be bad for my attention span, having all these really catchy, incredibly short tracks. I think next week I'm going to get really bored after like 30, 40 seconds rolls around. This is Gurgu Volcano. What's so cool about this episode is we're able to play a lot of wonderful music that we've never played on the podcast. I think it's crazy that a track like this we've never even played before. It's it's, it's so good. Yeah, four years in, still playing music from the first Final Fantasy. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, for example, you know, that Chaos Temple, I think we've played that in our Final Fantasy 1 episode, but that was like three years ago. So, I mean, uh, and this is an example of one that's never been played. And quite a bit of the music today has actually never been played. So, yeah, it's always great, you know, years and years of doing a podcast. You think you've done everything, but there's still wonderfully classic, you know, 8-bit music, music from the origins of um, some of the origins of video game music uh, we haven't even touched yet. So. I really like the A section of this melody how it starts on a non-harmonic tone you know that note that's mm-hmm. outside of the chord yeah da, 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 da. it's just so catchy he he really is um an incredible melodic composer he knows exactly he how is. to push your buttons what i love about his style though is part of the way that he creates a catchy melody is uh it's something that uh, grant kirkhope talked about and i think it's a, a great little simplification it's finding a, a the lot color of composers, note, right well yeah. a lot of composers do that where they have just that one note that feels off and it's either a non-harmonic tone or something outside of the chord or something that gets an awkward emphasis in the phrase it's that little thing that makes it catchy and every time yeah, you it gotta comes have around those. yeah something distinct it just adds a little bit of spice to it yeah right. you gotta have the spice i don't want to live in a world without spice uh, now we're going to move on to the last track we're going to play from the first soundtrack. Well, Carl, you know what's funny? <laughs> you know what that made me think of? Like, uh, I hmm. forget what it's called, but uh, there's this there's this recording of people playing uh, uh, like jazz standards, but taking out any notes that are like blues notes that would be part of the blues scale. Oh, that's funny. And playing it completely diatonically major or minor. And Gross. it's just like, it's, it's really like boring and like unsatisfying. Yeah. And that kind of reminded me of that's that. That's funny. So yeah, the last track of the first one is Floating Ship, and this is just a quintessential Uematsu track. Uh, He does the octave bass, which he does all over these first three soundtracks. Kind of that dancey feel without any drums. That's really kind of an an essential thing to establish the groove. But what's interesting about this track is it fluctuates really fast between, you know, these kind of two two chord progressions. Which he does all the time. Let's take a listen to Floating Ship.
some ways this feels like it might be a leftover of Rad Racer. Some of those intervals of those really fast kind of shredding uh, things on the right channel really reminded me of Rad Racer. Those little notes there, take a listen to this. That seems like it's right out of Rad Racer. That's awesome. This is Floating Ship from the first Final Fantasy. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying about Rad Racer. I think it's just uh, something that's cool about Final Fantasy is it has such eclectic music. The music is so dynamic based on what the gameplay is. And the cool thing mm -hmm. about RPGs is that they can have more emphasis on story and slow-paced, you know, character-driven uh, content. Um, and so it gives Uematsu the opportunity to explore all these different musical styles. But what I love is uh, even in this first Final Fantasy game, which you already observed as being a little bit more consistent, I, I think here we sort of mm -hmm. get that sort of fun pop rock influence that I think is a big part of probably a lot of the music that he was listening to growing up and at the time and one of his big influences throughout this entire series and really his entire career I think that kind of rock influence I mean you were referencing that uh, battle track that da 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 yeah. da 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 but it's so quirky and fun too like all this music even the most um, dark is still really fun and like yeah. cute. Though, especially I love this first melody. Soundtrack. I was really in the yeah, da, da, yeah isn't da. it great? Yeah, great. The opening phrases of all these pieces have been incredibly memorable. Whether they're outlining a triad or having a big sort of leap or uh, everything mm -hmm. about it is is very catchy. And I also like the form of it. How you know at the end of the first phrase of the A section it went down, and the second half it went up. You know, it all felt very classic. There, there definitely is something to be said to be in a headspace where you're not really expecting. The that what you're doing is like so important and like right. all these millions of people like you're just having fun and you know this is a guy who was working at a music shop right and then someone from <laughs> Square came in I believe and said oh do you want to do music and he's like oh sure and then so he just had no idea what he was doing you know especially in this age like video games were not considered to be anything you know to be respected or just you didn't take it that seriously I think that was a really good headspace for him to be in at that time well now we're going to move on to Final Fantasy 2 and this came out a year later but only in Japan so this was released in 1988 for the Famicom and I think in in some ways maybe slightly outdoes the first soundtrack it's hard to say uh, but in some ways he kind of keeps ramping it up as he goes on on the NES so we're going to start things off with a really good march this is very regal and strong and it's kind of a nice chorale writing i mean i guess technically it's only three voices um but it's just really on the nose let's take a listen to rebel army theme from final fantasy 2 beautiful strident piece of music is Oof. the rebel army theme i love this piece it's so majestic it's very regal you know it has that kind of uh, classic benevolence to it. it it reminds me of you know it's amazing the you know the ending of star wars the throne room i mean it, it mean it, this is very kind of minor but it's just trying to no, achieve right, that yeah. level of like stateliness you know well well wouldn't you agree that he's taking it to the next level this is so much more serious than anything he did in the first well, game I mean, don't you agree what's what's amazing to me is uimatsu uh, was apparently not classically trained but he's definitely studied a lot he of he could uh, fool you here he's he studied so much classical music because his voice leading is so spot on particularly with this three part writing i mean this this really it is so impressive to me. I mean, his use of secondary dominance and the way that uh, just, I don't know, each voice is moving uh, the smallest increment to move between these uh, very separate harmonic moments, and it all just feels very classic. It's very I mean, smooth. Someone could yeah. play just the chords of this to me and tell me it was, you know, a piece by Schubert, and I would believe it. It's so good. Yeah, guys, I can't wait to get into the rest of the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I think what's so cool is obviously the first game was was successful and now he's, you know, he's getting to do another game in the series. So I think he was pro he had to be really excited to to continue what he did in the first game and just try to try to outdo himself. I think that's probably what his goal was as most composers sure. know, probably should be. Uh, now we're going to move on to one of my favorites from the soundtrack. I know we've played this in our Final Fantasy episode a long time ago. This is Castle Pandemonium. Thank you. 
What a wonderful track. It's beautiful. It's dark. It's very interesting. It kind of keeps your attention throughout the whole <laughs> 30 seconds. It reminds me a little bit of Chaos Temple from the first game. He has quite a few tracks that are kind of in this style where it's the minor key, very common chords for video game music. You know, you have the one, you have the ma- major six. You're kind of using those two chords are kind of the foundation of the track, but it's very beautiful. Uh, it's simple. This is, see, video game music in this era was so simple, but that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. Music doesn't always have to be very complex and have all these different sections and a lot going on. It can just be simple, and, and that's sometimes well, what's the great best. Is he still utilizing all three channels in an incredible and unique way? I mean, each of these voices is doing something completely distinct. I mean, you have exactly. that melody channel, which is its own instrument, its own sort of pulse setting, uh, which is very sort of lyrical. And then you have the bass channel, the triangle, which is just doing those sustained bass notes. And then you have that little Alberti bass figure. And Alberti bass is something in uh, Baroque or classical era keyboard music, which is just a little left hand arpeggiating. One, five, three, five, one, five, three, five. But it's great. Each of those voices has a completely different character, and each is serving a different function. And what I like is, you know, some tracks on the NES are constantly changing what they're doing and are very busy and just kind of working themselves ragged to impress you or make you think that there's more instruments. But this is a track that feels completely comfortable, you know? It's like, it's a very busy sound, but it's completely content and and stationary. comfortable and content with no drums. You know, how impressive (laughs) is that? It's like, I'm not missing that. Now, part of that is, you know, we were all introduced to this music without drums and that's the way we always heard it but it also it sounds like keyboard music it sounds like you hear it's coming from the classical tradition which has virtually no drums you know you know that entire era pretty much there's not really any Yeah, to me honestly this reminds me of like something for organ it's the way it's using the three instruments when you think of an organ you know maybe the left hand is doing that little arpeggiation and then the sustained thing would maybe be done by the right hand and Mm -hmm. if you listen to that triangle bass i mean it's it kind of sounds like the foot pedals of an organ because, you know, it's not common on the NES when you just have the triangle sustaining for those really long pitches. Yeah. Even in Final Fantasy, you know, like what we heard in the last game was a lot of boot yeah, one thing that's, I think, pretty cool about the second soundtrack is he's definitely more cohesive. And I feel like he definitely sure. wanted to try harder to establish a specific tone where, you know, the first game of a series, mm-hmm. you can't really do that. There is nothing established. So you kind of have to try stuff out, throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But with the second soundtrack, he's definitely more confident. And I don't know, I just get this 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 sense of purpose that he has in the second soundtrack that is very exciting. So now we're going to move on to Cave Theme from Final Fantasy 2. That's a unique piece. This is actually pretty darn complex, pretty darn dissonant. My favorite thing about this, you could call this rhythmic dissonance, is there's that part that rhythmically, it's on like the uh, the one e and uh of the accents are on the the beats, and it's just out there. It's super wild, and you know that bridge section is just really kind of dissonant and creepy and well, you know yeah, there's love a lot of darkness in this if you take like the uh, Super Mario Brothers underground theme for how interesting and dissonant <laughs> it is really when you think about it it's practically a tonal and it has these meter changes but you know it's so iconic and it's completely uh, monophonic so yeah. it's just melody in unison octaves but what I love is to me it's like if, if that describes that type of dark uh, early Koji Kondo music this is really that same thing for Uematsu and it just kind of shows their different character. I love how he's exploring the dissonance, but still within the kind of language that he's established for this game. Because I agree with you, Carl. It's an incredibly cohesive soundtrack. But yeah, already some very innovative uses for the NES, particularly using the triangle for that climbing arpeggio and then having those really creepy colors with the low square. Because here's the thing, like... Can you be creepy on the NES? Like, it's a question that I'm sure he asked himself in 1988. What can I do <laughs> with this synthesizer to be creepy? Um, you know, you can't have, like, 
some sort of shrieking scream right. or some sort of dark instrument. So really what you have to do is you have to do it with um, notes and rhythms. And it's such a great use of the ease and the uhs of the beats in order to create something sure. that feels off. It feels like what's wrong here. Like, it's well, I, just... I think the other challenge that composers had on the NES, it wasn't just uh, creating a creepy aesthetic, but that it had to be loopable and that you had to not right. get sick of it. You know, if it was really dissonant or just clustery, you'd be like, ugh, I want to get out of here. Yeah, what is it about this cave theme that's so darn catchy? It's, it's like, still beautiful, <laughs> It's you still know? catchy. Yeah, I still want to listen to it. You know, there's a lot of 8-bit kind of creepy music that I never want to listen to i mean there's a yeah, lot we of play that track from uh, terminator for the nes on our bad music oh episode gosh, and it's just yeah. like making a case here that you can have your cake and eat it too you can do something creepy dissonant but it can still be catchy it can still loop Melodic, it can still be yeah. effective and you can listen to it on its own um that's a great work. one now we're going to move on to um another piece that has a fair amount of tension this is emperor battle That's one of the most effective masks of a loop that I've heard in a long time. This track keeps going, you know, really in the context of what we heard before, these 20 second, these 30 second loops, this track is like one minute, 10 seconds. That's pretty darn long. There's all these sections that keeps ramping up the intensity. This is so effective as a battle track. I really like the use of volume that is making it sound like an echo, you know, like it's some in some chamber. Right. Oh, it's so imaginative. Well, I think the other cool thing is he sort of whets your appetite with all the music in this game of just very, very, very short loops. Yeah. And then it's not really until the battle where a minute and 10 seconds can feel like an eternity, which is such a contrast from the rest of the music of the game. I mean, even musically, uh, this is sort of doing I what I was talking triplets. about before, where all the instruments on the NES are kind of like constantly changing their role to just mm -hmm. really busy up the texture. But it's so great. And even musically, it's just constantly changing up what it's doing chords are changing rhythms are changing it, it just goes from here to there and here to there it really feels dynamic like a film score where it's responding to what's happening on screen well is there any track that you can think of that this particular battle track reminds you of because for me it feels very unique it doesn't really feel like i've heard some of these techniques done on the nes it, it yeah, feels I'm, like a very cutting edge. i mean i'm i'm so glad you said that because uh you were about to put me on the spot there i was racking my brain i couldn't <laughs> no, think of I anything uh, i definitely one can't. of my one of my favorite things about that is that again we're having those rhythmic uh, major and minor seconds right together mm -hmm. and also kind of really fast it's great a lot of it kind of sounds um like keyboard or really shreddy like uh prog rock kind of things but also there's a lot of classical music influence and he's doing a lot of things with the actual uh nes sort of instrument switching uh there's something really cool happening on that lead instrument at one time when it's doing this quick arpeggio and it's also doing like a duty cycle switch which is where it sort of changes its timbre and you have this really snarly kind of sound to it that it's so unique to video games i there's not really um any synthesizer or any analog instrument that has that same kind of snarl so i love to hear when composers <laughs> use the actual synthesis of uh the game music chip to do something that you actually couldn't do uh with real instruments Wow, yeah, that is that is a beast of a track. That that once again was Emperor Battle. If you guys want to check that again, 
on your own. Whew, so good. All right, now we're going to move on to, uh, this is Game Over from Final Fantasy II, and as you probably are expecting, it's pretty sad. It's a, it's a tragic track, uh, a little bit longer than I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, the, the Game Over to be five seconds. You know, a lot of NES games have a very short little jingle, but this right. one uh, is a full-fledged piece of music. Let's take a listen to Game Over. about that really interesting use of volume cutting off and cut and going back on again the that kind of trailing off effect that's yeah, we've a, heard that so much today it's oh, really great it's so effective it really sounds like weeping uh for that vocal melody it's well, beautiful are there any particular things that you noticed that uematsu's doing in this track that is fitting you know the emotions of the player when they just died because it's like that's a moment in video game where I think the composer has a very important role because you don't want the player to shut off the system. Yeah, I think a few things, the the sort of weeping nature of it, it it's sympathizing with you. You know, yeah. it, it's not kind of like, oh, too bad. It's it's I more know. sort of like, I know this is really sad. But the thing that I noticed is this piece is in a minor key. Um, but the last two chords, uh, it, it's actually, um, it's, it's switching over to the parallel key, the actual, uh, it's major for the last two chords, which it, it's a little bit jarring and it's not something that you would really hear done that way in classical music. Right. But I think immediately it does this little emotional switch, which is just enough to say, you know, don't turn off the game. There's a glimmer of hope. I kind of think that's what he was going for. He didn't sure. want it to be, I think it stops it from A, being too kind of melodramatic and B, it, it, it gives just the, the little smallest nugget of hope to um, inspire the player to keep going. And honestly, I think a lot of people would probably just skip and say continue as soon as the piece I think, starts. I think a game over is an interesting thing to talk about. We could have an episode called Game Over maybe and just play a bunch of Game Over tracks because there, we, could do the track, we could do the episode in like 15 minutes. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Uh, good bonus idea maybe, but yeah. I think there's definitely a particular mandate for Game Over because you don't want the player to shut it off. You want to, like Will said, empathize with them. But to definitely, uh, it needs to be sad. But the thing that you don't want it to be, you know, actually something that I don't think is maybe the best Game Over, or maybe that was intentional. I never liked the Sonic 2. It was like, ding, 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 ding. It was kind of felt like it was like slapping me in the face. Like, ha, you suck. You got Game Over. Right. It didn't well, feel what's like interesting it about that though. About is I don't feel like that wants you to keep playing. I feel like that's, <laughs> yeah. or it's like reverse psychology of like, ha ha, like it's making fun yes, of you. <laughs> that's what that track feels like to me. It is Sonic make laughing. But you know at that me. fits sort of Sega's whole marketing and the character of Sonic, where right. it doesn't really seem sympathetic. He's just like speeding by you, laughing his ass yep. off the whole way. <laughs> All right, now it's time to move on to the sixth and final track we're going to play from Final Fantasy II today. This is Finale. Enjoy, guys.
That's a beautiful track. A very fitting way to end this game. This is the finale from Final Fantasy II, composed by Nobu Uematsu. I think this is a good time to do our little weekly catch-up, where Will and I get to shoot the breeze and see what the other's been up to. So, Will, what's been going on this week with you? Well, uh, it was interesting. Uh, last weekend was my birthday, so mm -hmm. I came home for that, and that was really fun. Uh, but we, we had sort of a lot of uh, drama go on as far as sort of <laughs> the website and our transition over to the new thing. We're actually going to be releasing a bonus episode in a week or a couple weeks uh, that uh, will be sort of detailing our <laughs> nightmare experience that mm -hmm. uh, we had going through all that. But Luckily, everything's going good, and we're excited to be sort of, um, you know, in the next week or the next few weeks, uh, launching our new, new website. website. Uh, it, we're very excited. We've been, you know, putting a lot of time into it. But uh, for me, outside of that, um, you know, I was kind of sick uh, the last couple days. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of missed some of my classes, uh, just kind of trying to get better. Um, oh, but I've been Will. playing a lot of You're uh, skipping your classes. Well, I was sick, uh, but I was pl I've been playing a lot of uh, Super Mario Maker, which has been so much fun. Both just the game, getting to make my own Mario courses, and really enjoying all the new Koji Kondo music and all the arrangements. Every time I get a new level pack, I just open up the uh, the level editor and just listen mm -hmm. <laughs> to the music. I'll usually because uh, in order to get the melody, you have to um, equip an item and like place a lot of things. So I'm usually mm -hmm. just scribbling on the pad just to hear the oh, melody with cool. all of his arrangements but yeah it's i've been really enjoying that and you know composing a lot writing new pieces we got uh, you and i have uh, a couple cool game projects that are potentially in the works that we're pretty right. excited about yeah that's gonna be cool yeah today uh i worked on a bunch of different music just a bunch of different stuff i kind of had in my head just trying to get that out and you know doing some work on the the new website and all that jazz. Uh, right. Yeah, played a really fun show with the Soul Surgeons last night. We had to play three hours. We had to play um, from seven wow. to ten. So that was a marathon How did show. you fill all that time with music? <laughs> a lot of covers. <laughs> no, we, um, we pretty much played almost every song we had in our entire catalog, and we had a lot of covers, and we jammed, too. You know, one of the good things about um, funk and jazz music is, you know, you can improvise in solo, so you can really extend songs much longer than you could if you're doing, like, a pop rock band where, you know, you kind of have the lengths of the songs pretty established. So you do have some wiggle room, but that's just a long time to play music. So I was very exhausted. Yeah, that's crazy. At the end of that, so did you guys yeah. like have intermissions? Did you take breaks? Yeah, what we did is we had one set that was about an hour, then we took about a twenty-minute break, and then played for about forty minutes, and then took like a ten-minute break, and then just played for like um, I think like maybe twenty more minutes, something like that. So it was like a long set, a medium set, and a short set. Right. So that's kind of the way that to sounds do it, fun though. That'd be it great. Very I mean, fun. Yeah, you this guys month, have a great little repertoire of songs. Yeah, this month it's been cool. September. I don't know when this comes out, but yeah, it'll still be September. Well, we actually had a residency. Um, so every single Tuesday, um, we're playing at this place called Harriet Brewing. So it's been it's been really fun to kind of uh, dude. You should you should plug uh, your shows on the podcast for people sure. that live in the Twin Cities area. Yeah, well, I mean this this comes out I think the twenty first. So tomorrow the twenty second and the the next Tuesday the 29th, we have two more shows at Harriet Brewing, which is in Minneapolis. And yeah, it's it's a residency. So every single Tuesday of this month, we've been playing there, and it's been a really good time. You know every week new people come and strangers check it out and enjoy it and friends of ours come check it out so it's it's a good time yeah i'm in duluth so i can't go but you guys definitely should go in my stead if you're in the twin cities area absolutely uh, definitely check them out carl b and the soul surgeons great band all right well guys we're gonna get back into the music and i am so excited because this next track is this week's track of the week it's the first piece of music we're going to be playing today from Final Fantasy III, and this game was released in 1990, again, just in Japan, of course, by Nobuo Uematsu. This is one of my favorite pieces from the series. This is Alter Cave, this week's track of the week. Thank you. 
Oh, so good. Really a standout track in the soundtrack, and I imagine a pretty important achievement for Uematsu. You can really see him trying to do things he had never done before, using that arpeggiation setting, for example. They're really interesting. The dring, the use of those um, kind of flourishes and ornaments. The, the the What's interesting is here is the arpeggio is creating actually a lot of dissonance as far as how it's interacting with that melody. Beautiful, uh, just kind of harmonic language, though. You know, oh. I, I think this track really indicates how much of an influence uh, Uematsu was to composers like Yoko Shimomura, Yatsunori yes. Masuda, uh, Naoshi Masuda, like uh, all those those people, particularly that bridge section, harmonically really feels like other, you know, square games done by different composers or mm -hmm. really just later video games that you would hear in the 16-bit and subsequent... Uh, uh, generations. Oh my gosh. Really, one of the best examples of that kind of James Bond chord progression in video games. You hear it a well, lot. It's one of the strongest uses of yeah, it. Yeah, it's so cool, and it has this demonic quality, but then that, honestly, that C-section just takes such a different turn. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's very, like, this wondrous uh, tonality to it. It reminds me of, like, Debussy or Ravel. It has sure. sort of, like, a impressionist French kind of sound to it. It's really beautiful. It, that's the thing, is Uematsu can just really impress me. I think if you if you listen to his music and you're you're not very informed of the context, uh, certain yeah. pieces can maybe be taken out of context. And uh, I think that's what I did at first is I mm -hmm. maybe just sort of dismissed it. Also, I, I think there was sort of a lot of uh, agendas on the internet of uh, Kondo versus Uematsu, uh, you know, pick your guy. Which and is so I dumb. It's stupid. They're so different. Um, and all the series they work on are so different. But a, a piece like this just really makes me appreciate everything that he brings to the table. Yeah, just a wonderful track. And it was a toss up i knew i wanted to have a track from three because final fantasy three maybe is uh the best of, of these three soundtracks and this next track ooh, is also one of my favorites this is cursed town and it feels like kind of like a dance piece like kind of a tango very classical inspired um but yeah there's just there's a darkness to it and there's a mysterious quality that i think is is just fun to listen to let's take a listen to cursed town I love this track. It's so inventive. The, those two notes that hit that are a second apart that do you know, dent. Oh, and then the counter line. Everything yeah. about this is just killer. I, I don't know. This is absolutely one of the best. I know we've, we've played best. and talked about this one a lot before in the podcast, but gosh, is it satisfying. It's so good. Uh, again, getting at that, I, I don't want to just say dissonance because it's such a vague word and a lot of people hear dissonance and they think it, it means bad. Um, but it also doesn't mean good. You know, we're not saying that y y just, you know, a clashing cluster of notes is a good thing. But I, I think it's just a when he goes for a little bit it. more of uh, outside comfortable normality. You know, the, these pieces in minor with a lot of shifting tonalities, which he just does so well. I, again, I love that counter melody of ya da 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 da, mm -hmm. how it just kind of pushes against the melody and the bass note. Uh, but again, this is another piece that just feels so comfortable in the skin of an NES composition. I'm never made aware of the three channels. It, it just feels completely like a fully developed texture. It's absolutely um, comfortable. It's so great. I love the melody. I, I, the other thing I love is space. You know, most of the tracks that we've heard are very busy. You know, right out of the gate, they give you that melody. But this one, mm -hmm. just starting with the bass, you don't boom. know what you're going to get. Boom, so at boom, first, you boom. just hear... Gent. <laughs> yeah, you don't really get a sense of the meter right away. So you just kind of yeah. hear short little bursts, staccato attack, and then space. And this is an example is when not having drums uh, makes it more creepy, similar right, to the Mario it, Brothers yeah, it, Underground. It, Totally, yeah. I was just thinking about that. It, mm -hmm. it sets up this kind of tension and mystery and surprise, which is so great when you have that beep, that little stab, oh, the uh, minor second. It's oh. confident writing. So much uh, fun. 
Yeah, you know, use of dissonance, that's one of the ways that composers can distinguish themselves uh, from not really knowing what they're doing and being really confident in everything, they're, all the choices they're making. Right. Injecting that dissonance. Well, guys, it's really surprising. We're now going to play a track that has percussion. <laughs> uh, it's crazy that we haven't had it so far. This is the battle theme for Final Fantasy III. So obviously taking the template of previous battle themes and, you know, each game has, has their own. So this is the battle theme from the third game. Here we go. Classic fusion of classical music and rock to create a battle <laughs> track, which is something that not only does the Final Fantasy series continue, but that's pretty much just a staple of video game music when you're going to have a battle theme in an RPG game. It's going to have this kind of a sound. Uh, really cool track. Uh, it's a good battle theme. One thing, <laughs> got to give Uematsu a little bit of a hard time here pretty lame drum part you know he doesn't really have drums in most of these soundtracks and then you know this part is is okay but the, the most of it's just buka buka it's so limited as far as like what you could do for a rocking drum part i think it's pretty funny but i love the track well, I, I think the thing is uh the 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 drums in in any kind of music they establish this sort of precedent where when they're not there you really feel it missing. I know. So I think there was probably an intention on his part to do something very limited. But what's uh, funny though so that is, it could gel with the rest of the music. But in that's the what game. I disagree with. The rest of the music here is very active. Everything's so busy. The drums should. It should be like more of a rocking kind of a shuffle groove, and most of it's just ka God, which I don't think is that fitting, um, which is interesting. The first, and maybe the only track today that we're yeah, playing but with I, drums. I, I really think musically with all this stuff, I mean, I, we talk about, you know, Koichi Sujiyama being this uh, renowned Japanese film composer and really kind of uh, this grand orchestral composer in general mm -hmm. and getting to work on the Dragon Quest series. But honestly, if somebody, you know, if I had no idea who Uematsu was, no idea about Final Fantasy, but they showed me this music and, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is just a master... Uh, Japanese classical composer You'd believe who it. worked on the soundtrack. I totally believe it. I mean, he definitely did his homework before doing mm -hmm. this, which is another thing that I have to say because I think another impression that I used to have about Uematsu is that like he had a great ear and he was just playing kind of by ear, doing what he thought sounded good. And then sometimes it just felt a little odd or strange where I wasn't necessarily trusting his instincts. But you listen to a soundtrack like this, uh, it's definitely clear that, you know, he had a lot of skill and a lot yes. of talent right from and, the get-go. you know, to be honest, it is odd. There are a lot of weird moments that happen in his music, and that's because he has a very unique sense of harmony, and he is not going to shy away from doing things that he wants to do, you know, not just completely blindly, like... Um, it's not just crazy, and there's there's always some sort of logic to it, but it really is his own. He makes this series his own. It doesn't really sound like any other composer. Yeah, that, I, I think you make a good point. It's possible that with these early games, the reason why it sounds so in the pocket for us mm -hmm. maybe is that he he was really trying to do a, a known sound where maybe in the well, later games he really got comfortable in his own skin well, would and I made think, the soundtracks his own personal sort of experiment um, music. I think it was maybe less of him growing and going farther in the SNES. I honestly think he was reining it in here on the NES partly due to the limitations, partly due to, you know, he's a new composer and stuff. I think the NES soundtracks see Uematsu reining it in and trying to do something a little bit simpler, which is what I I love so much about these soundtracks is that it, it feels like it's definitely not as, um, like I said, not as much of a risk, not taking as many chances, but everything is just very calculated and all the choices I well, agree with. Well, I think with. the other thing 
for a musician or a composer, when you're working either in the same band or on the same series for a long period of time, uh, it's really impossible for your taste to change. I think that's one of the things I love so much about John you Williams. You mean impossible for your taste not to change? Yeah, your taste not to change. I think it's one of the things I love about John Williams is that the music in the Star Wars series or Indiana Jones can mm-hmm. stay so cohesive. He's really able to do that service. But I think if you look at uh, bands, you know, the Beatles or Foo Fighters or anything. You can't stop uh, you can you can totally notice you know an evolution a change and you may like certain things better or worse but i mean he, i imagine uematsu was sort of feeling the same he couldn't lie to himself his no, taste you have to change what he was interested you know to yourself well now we're going to move on to a beautiful track this is the requiem from final fantasy 3 guys are listening to the requiem from final fantasy 3 it takes a very surprising turn as far as how it changes the tempo and it completely changes it's almost like this two pieces of music that are kind of combined into one here Ooh, i love this section well what are your thoughts on this track the requiem well, I think something that makes me uh, feel like it's a requiem is is that section that we just heard. Kind of Castlevania. Yeah, but I mean, it's a common thing that you hear in Baroque music or organ music. It's the idea of sort of an arpeggiated line where one note, uh, sometimes we call it a pedal tone, uh, but where it's staying the same. And so you're really sort of just hearing this one lone melody, but it's oscillating between the pedal tone and the rising note. So it, well, it know, sounds more complicated than it really is. Well, do you know but it's why? Um, I'm asking maybe to the listeners out there in the internet, do you know why that technique is so heavily used on the NES? It's a great way to flesh out the sound, to get more of a fullness of sound with one channel. Because it's still one channel, but you're getting bigger, bigger, bigger. You're getting an idea of the chords. Well, I think also like moving harmonized arpeggios, it's very difficult to write that kind of music because it yeah. changes up the harmony. So if you and it's like on, it's like each note is moving around, mm-hmm. it, it would kind of feel wandering, and you wouldn't really be able to establish a chord. Where what's able to happen is by going back to that repeated note, you feel like you're staying within the same harmonic language or you're staying within mm-hmm. the same tonality, but just that top note is kind of moving. It's sort of like a little yeah. Melody. And we've said this before, but the reason why, well, maybe one. One of the reasons why classical music was always used in a lot of these NES soundtracks is because when you have a limitation in voices, it really is one of the best genres to get a fullness of sound. Now, there are other ways sure. to do it. The Fallen Brothers are definitely <laughs> proof of that. Well, I, I think the other thing, too, is that it, it's just enough to sort of disguise the fact that you're using such primitive sounds and also exactly. sort of legitimize the game. Uh, Final Fantasy, it's trying to present something that's epic or feels kind of timeless Mm -hmm. and so hearkening back to a very old classic type of music it it makes it feel like it's sort of eternal and not the right choice it's the right choice for so many reasons so now guys we're gonna uh play the last track on the playlist here um other than obviously our playout track and this is this is cool because you know we've had a lot of dark kind of somber tracks but this one is another really fun one this is above the clouds from final fantasy 3 
what a fitting way to end <laughs> is just on a really quintessential Uematsu composition. It's very cute. It's very fun. This is Go Above the Clouds from Final Fantasy III. I had an absolute blast listening to all this music and preparing and sharing it with all of you guys. Now, this isn't a surprise. Everybody knows how good these soundtracks are, but it's just so fun for us to have an episode focusing on these three. I had a great yeah, time I mean, today. To spend two weeks on a series that mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people wish we spent more time on, but sure. after uh, next week, it'll be our fourth uh, full Final Fantasy episode. I think we've so done our duty I think that's that point, pretty right? darn good. We've only done, yeah. you know, three on The Legend of Zelda, so I think that's fair. How many have we done on Sonic? Now, we did two Sonic volumes, I think, and then we did the Sonic 3 episode. Oh, Sonic then, Lost then World. Then we did Sonic... So we've done more on Sonic than we have uh, Zelda. We've done quite a few Mario-related episodes. You know what? I, I think there's at least one more modern Sonic soundtrack that would definitely warrant a spotlight. I need to look into it, but colors or there's a couple other colors ones that is great. are super good that would be fun but we may have filled our sonic quota for the near future for but. the near future yeah <laughs> well guys i do want you to stick around for the playout track it's called the boundless ocean and it's one of my favorites i think it's very beautiful and emotional and in some ways i considered a track of the week but since it's near the end uh you know of the soundtrack i thought it was a really good playout track so stick around for that track and once again next week we're going to be back with a look at final fantasy 4 Five and six for the Super Nintendo. And please keep an eye out. Uh, we're not exactly sure when it's going to go down, but it could be next week. It soon. could be the following week. Very soon. Uh, keep an eye out for our new website. Uh, not only are we uh, switching platforms and redesigning our website, we're actually uh, getting a new logo and having a completely uh, redesigned sort of aesthetic for everything. So, yeah, as you guys know, we record these episodes in advance. Uh, so, I mean, who's to say it's possible, you know, that the site is maybe even up or going to be up tomorrow or this week. So, just stay Stay tuned. We'll let you guys know, but we're very excited uh, yeah. to unveil a new site very <clears throat> the soon. The other thing to mention is that all this stuff is not cheap. <laughs> uh, we're, we, in uh, Everything we do on this podcast is so completely true. for free, and all the money that it costs is out of our own pocket. So really... We usually try to not to plug this too much, but uh, now is as good a time of ever if you feel like clicking on that donate button, uh, mm-hmm. sending us a dropping us a few shillings, because uh, <laughs> you know we're we're kind of breaking breaking the bank on these changes. I think our, our idea is that we pay the money now so that we don't have to do it uh, again in the future. You know, if we, once we have a good logo and a really nice looking site, we can just kind of be comfortable where yeah. we're at. But sure. Your support would definitely be appreciated. Awesome. Well, we're going to play you guys out with The Boundless Ocean. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Once again, you guys can follow us on Twitter, at Marcotta Brothers, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can find every episode of this show and all of our original music at supermarcadabros.com. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. (laughs) 